0: We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her, go subscribe.
1: Welcome to the Bridge to You podcast, hosted by yours truly, Monique Russell, where we focus on diversity, inclusion, and understanding for Black cultures through conversations that help us connect to ourselves and each other. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Bridge to You podcast. I'm your host, Monique Russell. Healing must become an integrated way of life. Not a one and done or a here and there, but a consistent daily routine as consistent as brushing your teeth. This helps Black professionals to address present day and past trauma, including generational trauma. Our identity is how we see the world, the expectations we put on ourselves and others impact our well-being. And let's just face it, if we are not energized and fulfilled physically and emotionally and mentally, we will struggle with our productivity. We'll struggle sustaining it. And yes, we can be productive in the absence of healing temporarily, but long-term impact is the reward that we're going for. So today we want to really look at how does our level of well-being impact the work that we do and the opportunities we receive. My expert guest, Dr. Charmaine Jackman, in a previous episode shared her thoughts from the healthcare perspective. Let's take a listen.
2: Our cultural experiences, our way of being with each other in community has also been pathologized. And by that I mean they have been determined through that system of colonialism and white supremacy that there's something wrong with the way that we communicate the way that we interact with each other or the way that we respond to racism. So if we respond to racism with anger and paranoia then there's something wrong with us rather than naming that system. So yeah, so let me break that down for you a little bit more. Wow. So you know, the forefathers of psychology or Sigmund Freud and lots of white men. (laughs) And so, you know, how we were trained did not consider people of color. I would say I am almost 30 years out of graduate school. I know that feels like a lot. When we're learning about working with other cultures, it was a one course and it was like an add-on. And so we would talk about diversity, how to work with Black clients, how to work with Latino clients, how to work with agent. It was all these separate, like we were all a monolith. And that was the only way we talked about people of color. In your other courses, you could go through a whole semester, two semesters, and not engage or think about the experiences of people of color through those lens, whether it's theoretical approaches, whether it was, you know, understanding an anatomy and biology, whatever the courses were, the multicultural course with a separate course, and then there was the regular curriculum. And so you know, you could go through your education and not have to think about people of color. And you could still go through, you could get a degree. And even though we're required to have continuing education to be licensed, most states, including the state that I live in, don't require any particular attention to diversity, equity, cross-cultural training as part of that ongoing education. So, I do it every year, even though I'm an expert. I do this work, but there's always something for me to learn. So, there are definitely providers out there who don't see it as important. Mm -hmm. And so, if you come to their door, the risk of experiencing harm, racism, are the types of isms and phobias, xenophobia, Islamophobia, whatever it is, that is more likely. And unfortunately, that's been the experiences of some people. As I do this work around providing access, People tell me their stories about experiencing racism in that therapy space, oh, wow. which is very harmful. And it could be from someone who is a person of color who are at a different stage of their racial identity development and, and don't really understand that or think that's important. So that's part of it, right? So our training just did not consider people of color. You think about the timing of psychology, right? It was in an era where there was slavery. And so a lot of those messages get embedded into our theoretical frameworks.
1: Whoa, did you catch that? Everyone, did you catch that? Dr. Charmaine just helped us understand how the system in healthcare continues to lack in serving Black people. In America, because it starts from the education process. I really hope that you're paying attention to this. She said something powerful when she talked about how identity development can cause other Black people to also cause harm. So, in this instance, we're not really talking about race, is it? It's not about race, because harm can be done by white or Black people. It is about the mindset, the thinking, the education, and the frameworks. I want to explore more about the part of identity because our identity is how we show up and how we see the world. My guest, Michael Fosberg, he found out that he was Black at the age of 34. And I wondered, how did this impact his identity? Let's hear his story.
0: Everything was fine. And then one day, my parents, when I was in my early 30s, they announced they were getting a divorce. And I realized, when they said that, that I didn't know who my biological father was. My mother had never told me anything. And I never asked any questions, mostly because I was kind of a scared kid. I was always afraid of things. And frankly, by the time, you know, my mom remarried, I was five. I mean, it wasn't until then I was starting to really form like ideas and thoughts and putting things together. And so they decided they were getting a divorce and it just really shook me because I didn't know who my biological father was. So I asked my mom a bunch of questions and she gave me a couple of answers. You know, his name was John Sidney Woods. And the last time she had talked to him was some 30 years prior. And she thought that he lived maybe in the Detroit area. She wasn't sure. She didn't know. And so that was kind of it, really. And so armed with that information, I went to the library. This is before... The internet. <laughs> use the internet to find everybody. I went to the library. Libraries used to have, I don't know if they still do, they had phone books. Remember phone books? Mm-hmm. Phone book section. And 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 so I went to the library in Santa Monica, California. I was living in Santa Monica, California, and I got the Detroit phone book, thinking, what are the chances that after 30 years my father could still live in Detroit? I knew his name. So I looked up John Sidney Woods in the Detroit phone book. There were about five or six listings. I copied them all down. I raced back to my apartment, which was about the size of of this computer screen. It was so tiny. I paced back and forth, not knowing what to do, thinking, what do I ask? What happens? What what if none of these names are my father? I finally got the courage. I picked up the phone. I dialed the first number on the list. Turned out to be my father. Wow. And I was like, absolutely shocked. And so we're we're trying to, you know, like sort out like, how, what do we say? How do we talk about each other? What do we say? What, what happened? What happened? How have you been? All these things. And then suddenly, out of the blue, he says to me, "You know, son," and that just stopped me in my tracks when he said the word "son." Oh. He said, "You know, son, there's a couple of things you should know. I'm sure your mother's never told you." And I thought, okay, okay like what? I mean, what could it be? And he said, well, first of all, I want you to know that no matter what you thought happened or what you were told, I've always loved you. And I've thought about you a lot. Mm. And I was just, I mean, beside myself, I was just so elated. My father telling me for the first time that I could remember that he loved me. And then he said, there's one other thing. I'm sure your mother's never told you. And I said, what? And he said, I'm African-American. And I remember, as I mentioned, I was living in a one room apartment and I had this full length mirror sort of across the room from me. And I remember sort of catching a glimpse of myself in the mirror thinking, wow, did I just change? What, like looking for signs, like thinking about all this. And then he proceeded to tell me about my family history, about my great, great grandfather, who was a member of the 54th Regiment in the Colored Infantry Unit in the Civil War. My great-grandfather, who was a a member of the Negro Leagues, who was an all-star pitcher. My grandfather, who was a genius, and the science and engineering departments at Norfolk State University are named after him. And after all that, I was like, hold on. Can we just stop for a second here? Like, what just happened? And that's how my whole life just unfolded on that day.
1: What role does embracing your full identity play? In healing. I know personally for me, embracing all parts of who I am the Bahamian, the Nigerian, the American, the mother, the wife, the daughter, the teenage mom, the author, the global business professional, embracing all parts of my identity, including the parts that I wasn't really sure that I wanted to embrace, has allowed me to begin to receive a healing practice that creates an even deeper opportunity for me to connect with others all around the world. With Michael, it wasn't until there was a change that spurred this desire on within him to connect with his father. This is like having a disability that's undiagnosed, not knowing what is going on And finally finding out after tests and tests and searches and searches, what's happening. It brings relief. He found out that he was Black. This shifted his perspective, not just about himself, but how he would show up in the world and the expectations others would have. Others' expectations can impact us. They impact us emotionally and psychologically. And if we're not careful to ground ourselves in practices and postures of wholeness, we can find ourselves swaying to the beat of any old drum. When Michael shared his story, I mean, it's his story, it's his experience. People expected him to be livid, to be outraged, and they still do when he does his play. They expected him not to embrace being Black, to be ashamed of being Black. He talks about this often, but he wasn't. He wasn't ashamed. When there is shame, what do we do to address it? Shame is such a paralyzing emotion. It can prevent us from getting the help we need or becoming and pursuing the person that we truly want to become. It prevents us from having the conversations we need to have. And then now it just becomes this annoying hijacker, hijacker of the present, hijacker of the future, because the past is what is holding us back. This in itself leads to exhaustion in all forms. So we need to lean into it and leaning into this can be very uncomfortable I asked Michael to talk about why leaning in is important.
0: For instance, right now, we're having this debate. Maybe we're not all of us are having this debate, but many school districts across the country are being bombarded by parents and family members who are outraged by the teaching of CRT, critical race theory, or actually it's much broader than that because no one actually knows what CRT is, at least the people talking about it don't know what they're talking about but it's played itself out and we need to um alter the way we are teaching slavery or black history in our schools because it's it's how can it be racist or whatever they they're calling it and what they're complaining about is it's making their white family members their white children students feel uncomfortable yes wow really guess what though making them feel uncomfortable actually helps them. It helps build self-esteem because we overcame slavery. We have overcome many of these obstacles put in our path and we continue to do so. But by shielding your student, your child from that, you are doing them a disservice. Wow. That is how I would talk to someone who is exploring their history and not always um, feeling so great about it, I guess.
1: I I like that. I like that you said that because these activities, especially the family narrative and highlighting the things that your family has overcome as a way to lift the emotions, lift the self-esteem, because a lot of our disagreements and conflicts come out of those low self-esteem and low confidence feelings. You know, we try to fill the void, fill the gap, you know, it plays out in the workplace. It plays out in so many other areas, not realizing that you can go deeper into self-awareness, into emotional intelligence, simply by starting with your family narrative. All right, folks. So here is the action. First of all, we want to make healing an integrated practice in our day-to-day experiences. Black professionals, like I said, You have your trauma like everybody else, but you have a unique set of traumas that's based on race. Anyone that doesn't want to acknowledge that is purely in denial. It is in the conscious and subconscious. And so making that healing a daily regimen, as simple as your regimen is brushing your teeth, this is something that is going to help you to be a peak performer and to build more effectiveness in your business, and in your career. Second, start with your own personal family narrative. I think this is absolutely stunning. It's exceptional. And I can say that because I look at people in my practice and I also look at my own personal experiences. And I know the awakening that comes when you go into your own personal narrative. Look at what you've experienced in your family. Look at the patterns and the behaviors that are present in your family. Look at the successes, look at the illnesses, look at what you've overcome and talk about it because that helps to shape your identity. It connects to building self-esteem, to confidence. It makes you a more effective leader and a more effective communicator. My goal with these episodes is to provide you with awareness and blueprints for intergenerational impact. Nothing about these processes are walks in the park. And I know that 90% of people that hear this information or information in general what so the stats say, do nothing. They do nothing. They listen and they do nothing. They take no action. But there are those of you that are listening to my voice, the 10% of you that hear and that do. This is for you. This is for you. But let me say this is for everyone. But I especially want to speak to you, that peak performer, those of you that will hear this and that will make a transformational difference in your life and in the lives of others. We can all, in our own way, become the change that we want to see. My encouragement for you with this episode is to make sure that you share it with a friend. Any episode that you listen to, sharing is caring, but beyond sharing being caring, we want to continue the conversation. And if you can share it with someone that you are thinking of, let them know you thought of them with the episode, get their insights on something, say, hey, I listened to this and I really want to get your thoughts on this topic. You begin to now create a ripple effect. What happens when two or three or four people begin to investigate their stories, their personal family narratives? And because of you, because of the gift of conversation, They begin to build self-esteem, not just within themselves, but within their families. I want to thank you for listening to the Bridge to You podcast. And until next time, take care and be well. Thanks for listening to the Bridge to You podcast. Visit Solutions.com or connect with me on LinkedIn, Monique Russell or Instagram at Clear Communication Coach.